Uh, my name is Miriam, and I'm going to bring you tonight's reading, which is from Psalm 63. That can be found on page 579 of the Church Bibles. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of the liars will be silenced. Thanks so much, Miriam. Hello, my name is Callum, part of the staff team here at Above Bar. And uh, we're looking at different psalms uh, in the Bible. They're kind of poems, a lot of them written by David, but not all of them written by David, over the next few evenings. And last week, uh, Matthew, when he was preaching, uh, he had a different psalm, and he said, I, I actually have to confess I really don't like psalms. And this is gonna, um, so it was a bit of a labor of love, you could say, for Matthew last week. Well, for me, I'm a, a, a poety, artsy-fartsy kind of guy. I love the Psalms, and Psalm 63 is actually my favorite Psalm. So when I was asked to preach on this, I was like, get in! It's great. It's got lots of visual examples. It's very physical. If you read through it and you notice, it's got a lot of things going for it. But part of actually why I love Psalm 63, and do keep it open in front of you if you don't have it already, it's on page 579, but part of the reason why I love Psalm 63 is actually there was a, a time in my life before I was working for Above Bar Church, but I was visiting Southampton because uh, my now wife and I were engaged at the time, and I was in England. I was actually living back in the States at the time. I was very spiritually down. I was very down in every way. I, I was pretty much depressed, and I was struggling. I was tired. And God felt so distant. I was struggling with the work I was doing. I, I felt like uh, imposter syndrome, like I shouldn't be doing the work I was doing, that at any point people were going to realize that I was rubbish at what I was supposed to be good at. And, and I was lonely. I, I'd moved a few times as a young adult in, the, in a few years, and, and, and everything seemed to be just blah in my life. A friend of mine said, Okay, you've got this little bit of time off, you're in Southampton, why don't you go to the New Forest, because you're a country boy, Callum, and you like being amongst trees, and just spend a day with God. Like, turn off your phone, just go. Uh, he was good enough to drive me to Ashurst, and I went just walking, literally, through the trees. I went off trail, and just going along, startled some deer. But I was walking, and I don't recommend generally just kind of uh, using the Bible a bit like a slot machine and going, what you got for me here? 
at random and seeing. But I was kind of at that stage of desperation. And so I opened up to the Psalms. I knew maybe the Psalms are a good place to go. And I looked at Psalm 63. And these are the words that I saw. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. Can you feel that? He's using a, 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 a physical, a, a, a location example for something he was actually feeling. You can see the crossover in the imagery. It's, it's the reality for David in this psalm. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And actually, if you look just below Psalm 63, it says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. So he's also in the desert and has this kind of all around him, a land of no water, and this reflects how David was feeling. Now, David typically when he was in the desert it was because things were going really awfully in his life. It was typically either because uh, King Saul or David's own son Absalom were trying to kill him at different times in David's life. I think, but it really doesn't change the psalm, that it's the time when Absalom, his own son, was rebelling against him and trying to kill him. And I think that because in verse 11, David refers to himself as the king. Where when Saul was king, only if David really and his family and the prophet Samuel recognized him as king. That's my guess. So you can picture him. He's on the run. He's in the desert. And he's wondering, where is God? What's going on? And sometimes that happens in life. Our circumstances in life can affect how we feel in our relationship with God. We can feel like he's distant when things are going wrong in our life. So I don't know how you are doing or how you feel in your relationship with God if you're, you're feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking 24-7 from the fountain, or you're feeling dry and parched land. But it can be because of the circumstances in our life. What's going on in our life? It impacts us. And that's how I felt that day. As I then proceeded to walk and tried uh, to memorize Psalm 63 as I tromped around uh, the woods around Ashurst. But that, that psalm really spoke to me. And it's because though David is in this dry and weary land of the soul, it's actually quite an uplifting psalm in a way. And so I just want to show you kind of how David responds to this, this thirst he feels, how he's feeling spiritually. And the first thing, as he feels just completely parched, which we might relate to as well, a hosepipe ban and all that going on here, might be a desert sooner before you know it. But actually he first responds as he's feeling spiritually in the dumps with committing to worship God. He commits to worship. Look at verse 2. I've seen you in the sanctuary, that's back in Jerusalem, and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Notice the word will. He suddenly switches and uses will a lot in the next few verses. Verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Do you see that? He's saying, I will. I am going to do it. This is part of what I love about the Psalms because they're so honest 
about what it can be like as a human being. It's not always that we are on fire on the mountaintop going woohoo for God and for Jesus. Sometimes we feel really dry. The Bible's really honest about that. God allowed this psalm to be written and read through the others as well. And there's also this common thing we see David do in these, these poems he wrote to God. He preaches to himself. He sometimes literally refers like he, he's talking to his own soul like it's like standing in front of him. He's saying, I will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. It's become a thing. I, I love tennis. In, in tennis, sometimes when a player is, is not doing well, uh, between sets, they can go for a loo break. And it has to be very short. But frequently, what players do, they go for the loo break, and even if they don't need the loo, and they stand in front of the mirror in the loo, and they go, come on, like, you can do this. You're better than this. And then they go back out there. And frequently, they play a lot better, and it's really annoying for the other player because they don't know what they're doing. They're like, oh, they're revving themselves up. David's kind of doing that to his soul, saying, I will praise you. He's committing to it. I know what God is like. You see that in verse 2. Even though I don't feel him now, I have experienced God's love in the past. I know his power and his glory. I know his goodness. I find verse 5 really, really challenging because I am a foodie, if you can't tell. I love food. I love every... I like, when I think about traveling to a different country, the first thing I think of is the food there. I, 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 I think about cooking. I love to cook. I love to eat. And David says, I'll be satisfied as with the richest of foods. You go, oh, Callum. Do you savor and love God as much as you savor Korean food? But he's saying, I will. And did you see verse 3? Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Wow. God's love is better than life. I have to admit, I frequently live like I don't believe that. I live like sports is better than life, or food is better than life, Wi-Fi and data are better than life, YouTube is better than life. It's in your love. His love is better than life. And that is my experience. And if you haven't experienced the love of God, I'd really encourage you to ask God for it. And to look at Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example we're given of what God is like. So read a gospel. See how he loves. Do we believe his love is better than life? We might not right now, if we're honest. We might be thinking, well, I do, but gosh, I feel dried out. Remember it is. You can be preaching to your soul right now. You can be lifting up prayers to God right now. Your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. He commits to worship. And next, he remembers. He remembers God. Look at verse 6. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. We've switched out of the will language in this little bit. It's in the present. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. 
It's actually quite almost like a love song, this. You could almost believe this was Beyonce singing it or something. Um, This is David's affection for God, his longing for God. And this is quite quite important. How do we, how do we, what is one of the primary ways, what are some of the primary ways we can remember God? We can think about God. He's saying he's, he's thinking about God through the watches of the night. But yes, we can think back to, to, to times we've encountered, experienced God in our lives. Yes, you can be like Callum and walk through the woods because there's something about being in creation uh, that just, just helps my soul to sing. But also we have God's word. We don't have to, to recall it all uh, from our own minds. We have scripture. The greatest way we can gaze upon God and behold his power and glory, like in verse 2, is to look at God in the Bible. To look at Jesus in the Gospels. To remember him. But it's so easy. David is saying he's doing this through the watches of the night. It's so easy not to remember, to not remind ourselves of God, of what he's like. And if I'm honest, obviously, uh, so I'm the pastor for young adults. I think of things in the young adult world a lot, um, sometimes annoyingly, like when I'm trying to go to bed. But there are a lot of distractions. There are more distractions than there's ever been in this world from remembering God, from spending time with him, from gazing on him. The primary thing being probably technology and social media. It's designed to distract us. It's very addictive. But we also can live such busy lives that we find it just gets pushed out. We have to actually really work to remember God, to spend time gazing upon God. I'd really encourage you, especially Especially, but I'm not, I'm not saying this is only a young adult thing. If you're, I don't know, under the age of 40, you might need to really think about how technology impacts your life with God. I am not anti-smartphone. I'm not anti-Netflix. But it's a serious thing. How much does it impact your ability to spend time with God, to remember him? How much is it pushing him out? David commits to worship he remembers God, and then he actually worships here in the middle. Again, there's no wills here. It's in the present. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. He's saying this to God now. And you can be talking to God now as well. Because you're my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. These are two wonderful images. I love these two images in verses 7 and verse 8. God says, help. He remembers that. He knows that. And because he knows that, he can sing in the shadow of his wings. Now, I don't think God literally has wings. It's imagery. Jesus uses, actually, uh, refers to himself being like, well, to be honest, like a chicken at one point. When he says he loves Jerusalem, he loves the people there. He wants to gather them in like a mother hen gathers her brood. I'm a farm boy. Have you ever seen a hen? And it literally can take all of its chicks and it covers them up. It's a way of protecting them. And literally, when there are massive fires at farms and things like that, you will find dead hens where they have literally taken the fire in protecting the chicks 
And the chicks are still alive. They've protected them. They've, they've, they've laid down their life to protect their chicks. And Jesus is saying, that's how much I love you. I long to bring you in, but you would not come. We can sing in the shadow of God's wings. He loves us. And even times where it seems dark, the darkness could well be just the shadow of God's wings. He is there. He loves us. He protects us. He is our help. And the next image, I cling to you, your right hand hand upholds me. I love this. Because sometimes it can feel, can't it? Like we're just clinging on for dear life to faith, to Jesus, to God. Holding on as hard as we can and it feels like our grip is slipping. But David is saying here, that's not actually really what faith in Jesus is. You feel like you're clinging on for dear life. But David knows, even as he sits there in the dry desert, that if you zoom out far enough, you will see he is in the palm of God's hand. We cling, we follow Jesus, but God holds us. It's a, a common phrase, and it's really important to know. It's not the strength of our faith, but it's the object of our faith that saves us and holds us. It's not, I could have all the faith in the world. I want to go visit my, my family in the States for Thanksgiving, and I could say, I'm going to uh, glue uh, feathers to my arms, and I am going to flap, and I will fly to see my family in the States. That would certainly save a lot of money. I could have all the faith in the world. I could say, I am 100% confident this is going to work. It's still not going to happen, no matter how strong my faith is. But I could get on a British Airways flight with all fear and trepidation, thinking this isn't going to work. And it'll get me there. It always has. It's not the strength of our faith. It's the object of our faith. And here David, even in the dryness of the desert, is saying, I know, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And it's significant right hand. In, in their day, the right hand was the, the right thigh, the right hand was the one of honor. So he doesn't just hold you with any hand. <laughs> he holds you with his right hand. He is our help. We can cling to him. But no, he's holding you. He commits to worship. He remembers God. He worships. And then we'll see some repetition here. The next one, he remembers. Again, he remembers God. Now, we frequently, if you've read the Psalms before, think, why do we have to have the endings of so many of these Psalms? Because this was so nice, and then we get, those who want to kill me will be destroyed, verse 9. They'll go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. And you think, oh, David, you were doing so well, and this was really uplifting me and lovely, and now it's gotten all, like, what is this? Violence. But don't skip over these bits in the Psalms. So remember, David... The king, appointed by God and anointed by God, is sitting in a desert because his own son and others helping him have rebelled, and he's on the run for his own life. And again, the Bible is really real. It recognizes there is injustice. 
There is a lot that is wrong with this world. It's not all just daisies and roses and buttercups and rainbows. And David can be honest. He has enemies. There's a lot that's wrong. And he's remembering here God's justice. God's justice does ultimately prevail. It will be right. We might be sitting here thinking, if I look at the BBC News or whatever news you use homepage, it's just a depressing litany of the injustice of this world. I certainly do. But David is saying, I know, ultimately, he was, he was, he's God's chosen king. He knows God's justice will prevail. And he says it in very honest terms. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They'll go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. It's important not to skip over this. This is raw. This is, this is real. But God's justice will prevail. It will prevail here in Southampton in 2022 as well. We're obviously called to act uh, for God and, and for justice but it is an important thing now more than ever to remember. It is so easy to despair and to fall into just complete depression or just like, oh, I give up. To fall into a culture which is really prevalent, especially in the UK because it fits British humor as well, but of just complete cynicism and giving up on the world. God has not given up on the world. We know because of Jesus' resurrection, the cross and the resurrection, God does win, justice will prevail, this world will be put right. And David is remembering that. God is not sleeping on the job. He remembers that. And finally, he commits to worship again. Where he says, oh, but the king, that's him, will rejoice in God. Notice the will again. He's committing to worship. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. All who swear by God will glory in him. That's a wonderful promise. One day Jesus will return. We will not just have to, to, to look at God's word or, or to remember. We'll be able to see him face to face, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Now we see dimly, now we see in part, like as in a mirror, dimly, but then we shall see in full, just as we are fully known. All who swear by God will glory in him. That day is coming, and it's so important to remember that. I don't know how you're feeling, but if you are feeling like you're in a dry and weary land, remember, you can sing in the shadow of God's wings. He is here. He loves you. He is standing over you. You might feel like you're clinging on for dear life, but his right hand upholds you. Your trust is in Jesus.